But today we're wrapping up our series, Family Matters. And uh, I hadn't mentioned this. I realized this last night as I was praying about the, the message. Uh, you know, the artwork was a little bit inspired, our graphics. Uh, anybody grow up watching TGIF, the Family Matters show? Come on, anybody else? Some of you are like, what is that show? I'm almost 40, okay? Uh, that was back before streaming television. Come on, right? You had to watch it when it was on. Come on, do the Urkel. Do the uh, 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 uh. Come on, anybody remember that? Do that show? Come on, somebody. Great show. Uh, but the reason we've been talking about it is not because of that television show, but although it was a great show, um, it's, because, it's because we look at the Word of God and the family is very important to God. In fact, before he established a church or government, he established family. Uh, he relates to us in family language. Uh, he is God our Father. Christ is the Son. Uh, the New Testament language talks about the church being the spiritual family. God could have chosen any metaphor to use in describing the church, and he chose the primary metaphor to be family. Uh, and so family is really important. And uh, we've been talking in this series about all types of family relationships, both our family of origin, but because we have been influenced greatly by our family of origin. In fact, many studies even show how we relate to people as an adult is, is shaped, even at a subconscious level, by our family of origin that they have a great influence on us. And then if you have a family of your own, you are married, raising kids, or you're a step-parent, or, or maybe you're a spiritual parent to some children, you know how important it is, uh, how important family is. We're going to talk today. We're going to close the series out. And uh, this series has application. This message today will have application for all of your relationships because the principles taught today uh, from Scripture um, our principles to apply to every relationship in our life. We're going to kind of hone in on our familial relationships today, but we're looking at the building blocks of a healthy family. Uh, but you could really even replace the word family with relationships because, again, these principles expand beyond. So if you find yourself, maybe you're a, a graduate student at American University or uh, you're at the NIH, you're a fellow, or uh, maybe you just got assigned to Walter Reed and you're not yet not married yet. Maybe you have no desire to be married this still has application for your life today as we look to the Word of God. But before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. It is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray as we open it up today, God, that you would speak to us. We posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. Father, we thank you for this. It is in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Colossians 3. Uh, we're going to look at just four scriptures, and uh, we'll have some supporting scriptures as well that we'll look at today. So Colossians 3, if you're reading with me, uh, verse 18, it says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, before some women in the room get very upset at me, we're going to come back to what this actually means, okay? Come on. Some are like, I knew I shouldn't have came to this church. Come on. We're actually going to look culturally in our Western culture how this verse has been greatly perverted. And it doesn't mean maybe what you have thought it meant. Maybe you uh, had a perverted teaching of it to where it wasn't uh, men were domineering over women. It's actually not at all what it means. Quite the opposite, which we'll get to. So, um, Second is in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. And all of the parents said, Amen. 
Come on, that's the verse of the day in the Burroughs household every day. Come on. Dad, what are we learning today? Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents. Uh, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, he gives some practical application for families. Uh, he does a very similar thing in Ephesians 6. Uh, they, they really mirror each other. And I want to speak to this today and look at it just because I have some three basic building blocks of a healthy family. Again, this can apply to other relationships, um, and we're going to get real practical today. So here's the first building block, if you're taking notes today, and that is honor. And if you're not taking notes, you can write this word down, honor. Um, <laughs> so I'll come back to this idea of wives submit to your husbands. To understand culturally and contextually, the culture in which Paul was writing this in uh, women were a very much oppressed people group. Uh, in that culture, um, very uh, patriarchal in a very toxic way. Uh, men had the power. Women had very little social and economic capital. So here's how I want you to catch this. By him even mentioning the role of a wife in and of itself was mind-blowing then because he was giving value to women in this moment. Now, he also... To give context as well, he goes on to say, husbands love your wives. That word love, which we're going to dive into at another point, is agape. It's sacrificial, selfless love. Come on, not a rom-com type of love. Come on, somebody. It's the kind of love, listen, he, here's what Paul says, because women in the greater culture were oppressed, were devalued, were, had very little capital, Paul's saying, hey, in a, in a Christian family, here's the order God is setting. That in a Christian family, women are valued, women are protected, women are elevated. And all of the women said, amen. So he's saying, listen, a Christian household, a Christian family should be a one in which husbands, you lay your life down sacrificially as Christ did for the church for the protection and value of women and children who in that culture had no voice. That's what that means. So you understand how maybe you've heard that word submission taught in a way where men were domineering or men were authoritarian. It's quite the opposite. Paul's saying, husbands, you lay your life down. We honor women. We honor children. Again, children were the most vulnerable population in that culture. And he says, we, we, we honor both. By giving voice to both in this, he is honoring both. Honor is foundational to any relationship. The Greek word for honor simply means value or weight. That we're to place weight upon someone, value upon someone. Ephesians 5.21 is another passage where Paul speaks to relationships and even gets specifics on the relationship between a husband and wife. But he, start, he, he says this, this applies to all Christian relationships. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To submit to one another. That the, the essence of a relationship of a follower of Jesus should be one in which I, I mutually submit to one another. We serve one another. We are considerate of each other. We are loving towards one another. We are generous to each other. That's why, you know, here at Catalyst, we have a, a, a group of people called our dream team. And the reason we have our dream team, which are those who 
give other time, volunteer their time to serve. Uh, it's because they are living out Ephesians 5.21 to serve one another. Our, our kids team are serving our church family by teaching our kids the Bible right now. Our setup team who got here at 7 a.m. to set up our environment so we could have church, even stream this service, were serving us. In fact, can we do this? Can we put our hands together to honor our dream team today? And if you want to find out more about that team, again, next step is where that happens. But, but this idea of, of, of service, it should be the, the defining mark of how we relate in this world, especially in the context of a home. That a home should be defined by a mutual submission, a mutual service. But I love what Paul says. He says that of reverence for Christ. See, I, I think Paul knew this. He knew that there would be times where the imperfections of your spouse, come on, married people, would get underneath your skin. And you'd be like, you don't deserve my service. Come on, somebody. And there'd be times where maybe people in your life, maybe a good friend, maybe a fellow church member, that they would not act in a way that you would say you're worthy of to be served. Come on. So he says, keep the focus on Christ. Why? Because Christ gave his life for you. So I'm giving out of that. I'm giving out of the fact that he gave everything for me, so I am returning that to you. You know, it made me think about my son. He is six years old. He's uh, playing baseball right now, and uh, the big focus right now with, with his age, and I actually had a, had a kind of a coaching conversation with him, because if you watch the six-year-old baseball game, if you've ever been to a six-year-old baseball game, it can be painful at moments, okay? If you thought Major League Baseball was painful at moments, just imagine six-year-old baseball. Um, so, so they're in the field. And, you know, they're, like, pitching, and, and they get bored. So, like, literally, you look around the infield, there's, like, one kid just, like, playing the dirt, like, digging up grass. Like, one kid just like this, like, you know, and he's on, like, first base. Like, these two kids over here talking about Pokemon. Like, like there's, like, no one paying attention. Like, in the infield, there's, like, five children and three coaches. Like, they're just like, watch the ball. Pay attention. Here it comes. Glove up. You know, it's like the whole time. So I told Judah after his first game, because I noticed he was getting bored in the field, and I said, hey, Judah, do you want to know a trick your dad did when I was young? Because I would get bored too in the field. I said, try to find the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. If you lose the ball, try to find it. Just keep your eye on the ball. I said, and when you're batting, just keep your eye on the ball. Because if you're batting and you keep your eye on the ball, you'll hit the ball. And when you're in the field, you'll be able to field the ball. Or if you're at first base, catch the ball. And in the same way, here's what Paul's saying. And to have success in baseball, you got to keep your eyes on the ball. Paul's saying in order for this to work in relationships, you have to keep your eyes on Christ. Because the moment you get your eyes off of Christ, you're like, I don't want to do it for you. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to keep serving you. I, I don't want to keep loving you in this way. He said, no, no, keep the focus on Christ. Be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I've often found, and also this is why it's important, you're regularly submitting your life to the Word of God 
Because God will shape you. It's keeping your eyes on Christ. God will shape you and form you to live this out. But being sensitive to those moments as well where the Spirit of God is maybe leading you to do something. I remember some years ago I was working for a, a church, and Christina was in business, and uh, we had our two older kids. Abby wasn't born yet. So it was about 5.30, and at that point, in our, that season of our life, we kind of had this rhythm where, let's say one night, you know, I did dinner in the dishes, she bathed the kids and read their book for bed. So that night, I was doing dinner in the dishes, she was to bathe and read the books to the kids. And while I was finishing my workday up on the couch, um, I had this strong reoccurring thought, which I believe then, still do, was the Holy Spirit. And the thought was this, Jeremy, you should bathe the kids, cook dinner, do the dishes, read the books, and put them to bed. I said, devil, you get behind me. I will not be tempted by you anymore. I don't want to do that. Just a side note, if you ever feel led to do something generous or to serve someone and you don't feel like doing it, it's probably the Holy Spirit. So I, I did. So I bathed the kids. I then cooked dinner. And by the time she walked in the front door, the dinner was on the table. And she said, well, thank you so much. She said, I, I had a long day at work and... And I was honest with her. I was like, listen, don't thank me too much. It was the Holy Spirit. It really wasn't Jeremy. But, uh, but be sensitive in those moments where you feel like, man, I should, I should. And again, this can apply to outside of marriage and family. This can apply to other relationships. Be sensitive in those moments where you feel like, I should bless this coworker. I should send this encouraging note to this friend. I, I, should, I should do all of the household responsibilities tonight for our children. Some of you are nudging your spouse. Maybe that's a word for you. Um, 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter says this, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker. Now, this is referring to just physical weakness. He's just saying, you know, she might be physically weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. One translation says she's a, she's a fellow heir in God's grace. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. God cares so much about how you honor your spouse. He says, husbands, I will hinder your prayers if you do not honor her. That's how important this is to God, that we have honor in our relationships, honor in our marriage. Now, he spells it out. He says, treat your wife with understanding. And that word understanding refers to Knowing your spouse, knowing your wife, like knowing her strengths and weaknesses, knowing who she is, being a student of your spouse. I remember back when I first married Christina, I had just spent um, many years of my life, like a lot of you are still in, in school. I had had two graduate degrees. I had just gotten complete. So when this mentor told me this, it like, resonated with me. Um, he said, Jeremy, in this season, I was just married. He said, in this season, earn a Ph.D. in Christina. And uh, it, just, it just spoke to me in that season. And maybe for some of you, that's your word. I, I now am in postdoctoral work. Come on, somebody. You never stop. It's a lifetime, postdoc work. 
But, 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 but understand, and let me just add this to it. When you learn your hopes and dreams of your spouse, let me say this. When, when we come into marriage, we often come with our own hopes and dreams. We come in with our own sort of vision for the future, right? A lot of people do. Um, like this is, what, this is where I see my life going. But the word it says submit to one another. That means, listen, this is important, that when you, you come in, you might have two different visions for life. You need to, to learn to submit your vision to our vision. Meaning this, if you say, hey, this is what I'm doing, join me, it probably won't work well. Can I even say this? A lot of times marital conflict, relational conflict, have to do with there's two different visions. We have conflict over how to parent the kids. Well, have you ever come into alignment with a proper vision of how are we going to parent our kids? I, I've counseled couples who have financial issues, but the problem is they have a different vision of finances. One's saying they want to go this way and be debt-free. The other one maybe has a different perspective. Can I tell you, this will, this will help you out. Write this down, all right? One of the greatest, and this is biblical, keys to have a healthy marriage is to learn to have healthy compromise. I know it can be a dirty word in our culture, can it be? Right? Because we have a culture that tells us, have it your way. You do you. But can I tell you, in marriage, if you do you, we won't work. You need to do we. Are you following me? It's getting quiet in this church. <laughs> I love you. That's why I say this. You got, you got to understand. You got to come under a common vision. You know, this whole idea of understanding, catch this. The Journal of Marriage and Family in 2010, they took data from 47,000 couples, married couples. And they found a correlation over 47,000 married couples that the more time a couple spends together, the happier they are together. The more time you date your spouse, the more time you get to know your spouse, the more time you study your spouse, the happier you will be together. Can I just encourage you to, if you're married or you're with somebody you eventually want to marry, have a regular date in the name of Jesus. The, 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 the research is clear. You want to have a healthy marriage? Date regularly. If you need to, we do this at our house. We put the kids to bed early. We shut the blinds and say it's dark out. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Dad, the clock says 6.30. You, you, your vision's blurry, son. Get in bed. I love your mother. <laughs> and don't come out of your room, right? <laughs> or I'm taking away everything. It's not good parenting, but it works. Um, Colossians 3.21, Paul says, you know, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That word embitter means to provoke, to arouse. That word fathers actually translated in the Greek means parents. So it applies to mothers as well. Here's what Paul says. Um, hey, mom, dad, or aunt, uncle, or anybody, if you know something that you'll say or do will provoke your child to anger, don't do it. That, that, that even, can I just say this, even speaking my own life, be careful you do not parent out of your own emotionality. 
Like when you're frustrated because your kid, you've asked them to do something three, four, 75 times, come on, and they won't do it. If you find yourself getting frustrated, take a moment and step away. The Bible says to, to not go to bed angry. Then it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Be careful in your parenting. You're not parenting out of emotion. I don't speak as an expert. I'm a work in progress myself. But do not embitter your children because here's what it says, they will become discouraged. That word discouraged means they will feel less valued. Man, create a home environment where your child feels valued, where your child feels loved, where your child wants to be. Psalm 127 says this, that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Renew your mind with that. Man, they are, God has rewarded me with these children. They are a gift. And you know, one way, very simply, I'll be practical. You can create value in someone's life, value in your kid's life, is listen to them. You know, when you feel listened to, you feel valued. I used to be a psychologist. People pay therapists to listen to them. Come on. Because why? It, it, it makes you feel valued. Now, therapists, let me be clear, psychologists and counselors provide more value. But what I'm saying is being listened to makes you feel valued. And you know what I found sometimes with children? And, and I've, when I was working as a psychologist, I worked mostly with high schoolers. Now I have a preschooler and two elementary school, schoolers. And I've, I've noticed this across ages that sometimes, have, have any time parents realize this? Your kids sometimes will want to talk and share their heart at the most inopportune times. Come on. Like you're putting them to bed. You're exhausted. And they're like, Dad, how did the sun get here? You're like, oh, Lord. Really? Can you just watch YouTube tomorrow? You know, it's like true story on the way into church this morning. I was bringing all three of my kids. And we had a 20-minute conversation. True story about sharks. They were asking me all these questions about sharks in the ocean and people who've gotten bitten by sharks and asking me all these questions. And, but because when you create a culture in your home where people feel listened to, they'll feel valued. And when, they feel, when you have a home environment, people feel valued, it will attract other people to it. We're called to live with honor. Here's the second building block. It's holiness. Holiness. Now, let me be clear. To be holy in the Bible means to be set apart, to, to live differently. Now, because of Christ, our right standing, our righteousness with God is dependent upon the finished work of Christ, and we're grateful for that. So I want to be clear. This isn't a, you need to be holy in order to be accepted by God. Not at all. We are accepted by God because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. However, Peter wrote that we are to be holy as God is holy. There's a word in the Bible called sanctification. It's this process where the Holy Spirit transforms us on the inside out into the image of Christ by, by reading Scripture, by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, by spending time in the presence of God. We begin to get transformed from the inside out. How does this manifest in our, in our families, in our relationships? Again, Paul viewed children and women differently than the culture around him. 
And here's what happens when you live set apart, when you live holy, when you have a holy perspective, you see family differently. Because how you see someone will determine how you treat someone. My children, the other, uh, a few weeks ago, my two olders were having a conflict. And I, I went to break up the conflict. And they were like, well, she said, and well, he said. And they were viewing each other as enemies. And I told them, I said, you are not enemies. You are family. Families don't compete with each other. Families support each other. But what happened? It was their perspective. They were like, and, and can I tell you, you want to know how the enemy will divide a household? He will get you thinking you married your enemy. But you have a common enemy, the devil, and his, his forces are coming against you. Listen, your husband is not the enemy. Your child is not the enemy. We have a common enemy. And can I tell you in the church, other Christians aren't the enemy because here's what the enemy knows. The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. The Bible also says where there's unity, God commands a blessing. You want to bless family? Have a unified family. We want to have a blessed church? Be a unified church. Doesn't mean uniformity. It means unity. Christ is our our unifier. But our perspective matters. How we see people determines how we treat people. If I get married and I see my spouse as you're here to support my dreams, then I will treat her as a support system, not a spouse. If I view my children as getting in the way of my career ambitions, I will view them as a nuisance and not a reward from God. But when you begin to have God's perspective, when you begin to see things as God sees them, it begins to change the way you treat people. Paul said this in Colossians 3, a few verses later. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. How do we do this? We set our mind on things above by getting a proper perspective, by, by reading the word of God, letting the word of God become our filters. I remember growing up um, in high school science class, I uh, did different experiments. Some of you, you do this during the day. Um, high school was where it stopped for me. I was a social science major in college. Come on, somebody. I.E., not good at science. Anybody else with me? Come on. Uh, no one. Okay. Um, so I remember chemistry class in high school, and they had to take out like uh, these magnifying glasses to see these, these microbes, these, these small bacteria. And, and without, to the naked eye, you couldn't see it. But with an enhanced uh, magnifying glass, you could see the bacteria. In other words, the bacteria was always there. You just couldn't see it without the right filter, without the right magnifying glass. Here's what I'm saying. The Bible says that your child is a gift from him, is a reward from God. But listen, regardless of whether or not you saw it before today, your child is a gift from God. Amen? Your child is a reward from God. 
What's our filter? That's why it's so important we renew our minds with the word of God so the word of God becomes our filter. So we don't see our spouse as our support system. We don't go into this marriage for what I can get out of it. And we have prenuptial agreements because if you don't meet my needs, I'm out. No, because the scripture says marriage is a covenant and I'm called to lay down my life for you. You're not my support system. You're my co-heir in Christ. Therefore, I see you as such. I value as such. And my filter is not the cultural ideology. It is the eternal, all-powerful word of God. You got to get the right filter. You got to get the right filter on you to see, to see that you see your child as a gift. You see them as made in the image of God. You know, I think much of the vitriol and hatred we see in our world around us is because people don't see each other as made in the image of God. I wonder if those that people see as their enemies. Do you know your enemy was also created in the same image of God? That would change the way we treat people, wouldn't it? If we begin to see people differently. You know what I love about our church here at Catalyst Church? I love our racial and cultural diversity. And if you do, can you say amen? Yeah. You know what I love? It's all the different hues of God's image. That we, that, that even raising my kids in this church, they can see God's image reflected in different races and cultures. Because aren't you grateful when we get to heaven, we're going to see a lot of diversity of God's image. Amen? That people are made in the image of God. Have the right filter. Have the right filter. You know, I, I was thinking first service and with filters, we commonly use filters on our social media pictures. Come on, have you ever met somebody that you maybe you, you followed them on Instagram and then you met them and they look nothing like what you saw on Instagram? Come on, somebody, right? Hey, if that's you, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> stop using filters. It, it, we don't know who you are, right? You're beautiful the way you are. I don't know whatever filter it is that, that they're out there, but, but, but we, have, we all have filters. Make sure your filter is the word of God for how we see people. Again, not just in the family, but all around us. In order to have those filters, I love what Paul says, or sorry, not Paul, but the author of Hebrews says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That word make every effort means to strive, means to eagerly pursue. Now let me be clear. We cannot achieve holiness in and of ourselves. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the indwelling of Christ on the inside of us. However, we are called. Why? The author says this, without holiness, no one can see God. They can see God when they see his image reflected in us, when they see us being transformed in his image. I love what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15. Let me give context. He says this to the Israelites. They had just, you know, crossed over into the promised land. And, and I shared this last week, and, and Moses, when he was instructing the Israelites, that oftentimes we are most tempted to stray from God not when, when life is difficult, but when things are easy. Because our, our, our comforts, let me say it this way, 
The blessings from God can sometimes take priority over the one who gave the blessings to you in the first place. That we sometimes begin to make our job a little G God. And we forget that actually God gave you the ability to work in that job. We can make wealth a little G God. We can make relationships a little G God. We can make children a little G God. Children are a gift from the Lord. They make a terrible idol though. They all do. So we have to keep God first. So be careful in moments of comfort. And in Joshua's situation, they were experiencing comfort. And here's what he says in Joshua 24, 15. Because he says, listen, you have to decide today whom you're going to serve. As we leave from here, you have to decide. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Can I speak right now to parents? Can I speak to you if you one day maybe want to have kids? Or maybe you have influence over children's life? Maybe in some way you have those of the next generation that you have influence over. Can you, uh, for your own sake, can you, for your sake, decide today in your heart that regardless of the waves of culture around us, regardless of other popular philosophies or ideologies, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will value the word of God. As for me and my house, we will submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. Because can I tell you, in the same way Joshua needed a resolve, in the same way Paul says, strive for it, there may come seasons and times that, that you don't feel like it. That's why a lot of spiritual practices are called spiritual disciplines. There'll be some mornings, some weeks, some seasons, you may not feel like reading the word, feel like doing the word, feel like coming to the house of God, but can I tell you, get a resolve right now in your heart, as for me and my house, I am going to serve God. Can I tell you, leaders will come and go, but there has been one king of all kings that has been seated at the right seat of the Father. He is on the throne. He is the king of all kings. The Bible says every other kingdom, economy, government, country will be shaken, but there is one kingdom that will never be shaken, the kingdom of God. So our hope does not rest in anything of this world. It rests in the risen king, Jesus Christ. So decide today, I'm going to serve God. I'm not going to do it when it's easy. I'm not going to just do it when it's comfortable. I'm not going to do it when it's culturally acceptable. No, I'm going to serve God regardless of what happens. Because I don't live just for this world. I live to serve the one who saved my soul. I live to serve the king of kings. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. The Alpha and the Omega. The creator of the universe. Can I tell you when all of this world fades away, which it will one day, there will still be a king on the throne. And his name is Jesus. Resolve in your heart. Do it for your children. That your kids can see you, mom and dad, aunt and uncle, grandparent. They can see you serving God, not just when it's easy, not just when it's comfortable, but when it's hard. And I believe we'll see fruit from that, not just in our life, but in their life. Amen? Amen. Here's the last building block. Honor, holiness, 
and love. Now I'm going to be honest. The preacher in me really wanted to have three words starting with H. So I tried really hard to find a synonym for love that started with H, but I came up short. I almost made a word up, but I didn't go that far. I preached the truth. So it's love. Love. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. He says, do not be harsh with them because husbands were getting uh, frustrated with their wives and they were being harsh uh, with their words. And he says, love your wife. Sacrifice for your wife. That, that word love, as I said earlier, is the word agape. It's a sacrificial love. Not the kind of love they make movies about, but the love that lasts. The love that transforms hearts. It's the love that saved our soul, the love of Christ. He says, exemplify this kind of love. I love what Ephesians 4 says. The apostle Paul writes in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. It may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. The apostle Paul says, don't let any unwholesome word, don't let any slander come out of your words, out of your mouth. The Bible gives great weight to our words and the words that we speak. And Paul cautions husbands to not be harsh with their words. And I think for us, I would even encourage you to do this. Do an audit of your words. Like take one day where you're intentional about the words that you speak about people, about yourself, if you're married, about your spouse, about your kids, if you have children. I remember one season the Lord really convicted me of the words I, used, I was speaking over my kids. Nothing was even overtly bad. I felt like he challenged me to be more affirming of my kids and who they were. So there was, a, there was a, a season where I made sure every morning the first words my kids heard were, I love you and I am proud of you. That before they did anything that day, I wanted them to know their dad's proud of them just for who they are. And maybe for you, do an audit of your words. Are the words I'm speaking? You know, the Bible says our words have the power of life and death. Frederick Scheler Medical School in Germany in 2010 did a study where they put negative words on these, these cardboard pieces. And they had the children read the words. And they were measuring if, if, if the words they read or the words they hear has an effect. And here's what they found. That actually reading negative words, they did this study where they actually found it actually releases stress-inducing hormones in their bodies. And their conclusion was either negative self-talk, reading negative words, or hearing words out of someone's mouth that are negative increases stress and long-term anxiety in children's lives. On the flip side, the Thomas Jefferson School of Medicine in 2012, they showed positive words like love to children. And they actually found what it does, it actually stimulates cognitive functioning and development, specifically in the prefrontal cortex. And they actually found that from an emotional health, it actually builds resiliency. That what are these studies showing? What God's word has always said. Our words either build up or they tear down? Are you building up your kids with your words? Are you building up your friends with your words? Are you building up your spouse with your words? First Peter 4, 8, Peter says this, above all, 
love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Here's what, what Peter's saying here is he's saying that as you walk with Christ, as a follower of Jesus, that as you become more aware, your mind becomes more renewed with the love of Christ, that over the course of time, I want you to hear this. When he says love covers a multitude of sins, here's what he says. That a sign of spiritual maturity and growth in the life of a Christian is that over the course of time, you become less offendable. You become more quick to forgive. That before, when your spouse said they were going to do that thing and they didn't do that thing, maybe your first year of marriage, you kind of bite back with your words. As you've grown in the love of Christ, love now covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean you sweep things under the rug. It doesn't mean that you, you dismiss dysfunction. But it says, you know, you do not allow offense to take root in your heart. Paul says, forgive as Christ has forgiven us. I like to say it this way, that over the course of time, the love of Christ will allow you to grow thick skin and a soft heart. That things don't bother you like they once did. You know, and, and we are culturally conditioned to be easily offended. That the love of Christ actually enables us, man, I... Because, listen, the more aware you are of how much you offend God, the less offended you become by others' offenses. Because you realize, I'm a lot worse of an offender than the people who offend me. Because every day, when I miss the mark, I offend God. Love covers a multitude of sins. We grow in love. We grow with a thick skin and a soft heart. I close with the words of Jesus, as always is fitting. You know, in the final days of his life, which the book of John has several chapters devoted to, his final days, that one of the overwhelming messages of Christ was to love each other. You know, in John 13, he had him over for the Last Supper, which in a moment will practice communion, which is what he did then. And he washed their feet. And he said... Love one another as I've loved you. By this, people will know you're my disciples. And then John 15, I love this. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. He says it again. Love each other as I've loved you. Do you want to have a joy-filled home? Have a home full of agape, sacrificial, selfless, generous love. You want to have a joy-filled marriage? Have it full of sacrificial, selfless, generous love. He says, so my joy will be in you, and your joy will be complete. You know, he really... Closing his life, Jesus really, again, emphasized his message of love. And I think out of all the building blocks, love is, is foundational. I was thinking about foundations because in the Burroughs household, uh, Legos are a big hit. Uh, and sometimes I don't always love Legos because when I'm walking through the family room, I step on one. And I think I stepped on a razor blade, but it was a Lego piece. Have you had that pain before? I'm like, why, why couldn't they make Legos just softer? Like round edges. So sharp edges pierce your foot. 
But they have, uh, in Legos, they have these, they call these base plates. And what Lego recommends is if you build a larger structure, let's say you build a, a castle or, you know, some kind of fortress or whatever it might be, or, a, you know, a palace. By having a base plate as your foundation, it, it enables you to build high and build wide, but it keeps everything together. This base plate is the foundation. And they recommend, you don't have to, but they recommend it. If you want to have a structure that stays up, have a base plate. This is your foundation. And as I was thinking about what the, what the Word says, as I was thinking about these different building blocks that Paul points out, he emphasizes and Christ emphasizes, and I would say this, of above all else, put on love, is the words of Paul. To allow the love of Christ, the agape, sacrificial, selfless love of God to permeate your heart. And also that you would extend that love to other people. So we can have healthy families, we can have healthy relationships, and we can be healthy ourselves. Can you buy